Thank you for listening to the Silver Club Podcast. Here's your host, two-time Walker Cupper and former world amateur number one Steve Scott, and men's golf coach at Yale University and golf historian Colin Sheehan. All right, Colin, new year, new podcast intro. How's it going in 2021 so far? Very good, Steve. <laughs> how was your uh, how was your Christmas and New Year's? It was really good. It was really good. You know, just not not traveling out very much. We just kind of laying low and just enjoying really spending time with the fam and trying to really enjoy some downtime if you can. It's, it's always hard, but uh, yeah, it's it's good. How about you? I'm with you. I mean, I, I like uh, a little bit of a of a downtime. It's it's busy every day, but uh, uh, we're having a fire every night. We've moved the TV to the living room. Uh, we're having family movie night and popcorn just about every evening. It, it, it can't. It doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, binge watching. You know, Netflix binge watching. That's always fun. I I've got into that uh, that one called Cobra Kai. It's the Karate Kid spinoff there it's 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 actually pretty funny I, I i didn't think i'd actually like it at all and they're quick little episodes and uh i don't know kind of got into that yesterday and uh yeah I mean, you're, you're a huge fan of the original karate kid movie and i'll never forget this uh my 12th birthday 1987 is that right i might have been I come, I go to see Karate Kid Part Two on my birthday, and I come home, and in the garage is the first new set of golf clubs I ever received: Spalding Executive Irons, ladies. Wow. Executive Irons, drop one, three, and five woods. That was until then. I was playing with my mom's used set of of irons, so I I have a uh, you know a nostalgia for Karate Kid, especially Part Two, because that's. <laughs> That's the day I got my very first set of okay. new clothes. All right. Yeah, it's got, got some good memories tied in with that. Okay. All right. Uh, uh, shifting over to golf a little bit, uh, just trying to think about what we're going to expect from the golf world this year. I mean, you know, you look in the, in the, in the big scheme of things on, on television, for example, the golf channel itself has actually moved to the Northeast. It's kind of interesting to have the golf channel headquarters up in Stamford, Connecticut now, and maybe not in sunny Orlando. The golf media uh, landscape is changing. And uh, it's interesting to see all these sort of independent competitors and our friends at, like Andy Johnson and, and others. And I like, you know, I, I've always loved the golf channel it was I've, it was such a, a, a a good feeling of wherever you're traveling and you hope you, whatever hotel you're staying in, you hope they have the golf channel. Like countless, countless nights have been or mornings has been spent watching the European tour uh, with that on in the background. Uh, but, you know, I don't, I, I wonder what I'm going to miss the morning drive segment. That was always a, that was, that was always such a um, dependable uh, show for for golfers on a yeah yeah I guess they got to spice it up a little bit though uh, they've it's maybe run its course and well it's it's not maybe run its course it's definitely run its course and uh, at least on their side they're going to have a new show called Golf Today uh, one of our 
Silver Club members and uh, former podcast guest Shane Bacon is going to be uh, one of the hosts there with Damon Hack and Anna Whiteley and Jimmy Roberts, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, we'll see what sort of things they bring. And I bet you they'll bring some uh, Shane will bring some good good energy there. I know we, we did some work on Fox together in the USJ events. And you know, when that whole thing evaporated uh, at the middle part of last year, kind of left a, a void in in Shane's uh, broadcasting. And although he and Max Homa have done some really fun podcasts and have a excellent following there. So we'll see what uh, Golf Today brings. And uh, it's going to be more midday, I guess. So we'll uh, we'll kind of see what that goes. Uh, this time for me, though, is always it's a fun time of the year. Obviously, the page has turned to a brand new year, 2021. But more importantly, the PGA Tour goes to the West Coast and golf is in prime time. We get to like hang out on the couch and, you know, from seven to 10 o'clock at night on the East Coast and and watch the tour out in beautiful, sunny Hawaii. I love that. I mean, it's similar to watching um, the Rose Bowl on a normal year when it's it's dark and it's four o'clock here in, in new england and it's freezing cold and there's snow and ice <laughs> and you see this just sun soaked afternoon in california it is uh it's it's uplifting it's uplifting to watch this sort of the, the golf in hawaii and on the west coast have you ever uh, been out there you ever been to hawaii and play golf yeah yeah absolutely uh love it all the, my every year the the for years the players on the yellow golf team uh, were bugging me to, to have our spring break out in, in Hawaii. And I, and I sort of, the reason we didn't, it's you kind of lose a full day to travel each way. And, and I kind of had to remind them, I'm like, you go out there to sort of to work on your game and get ready for the spring and accept your plane and trade wins for, for a week and a half. You're going to hit everything as, you know, you don't get to make a full swing. Uh, you're constantly just having to shape everything under the sun. I know some tour guys who play at Maui and then play in the Sony, they come back and they're like, they, they're, they kind of need a reset after two weeks out there in Hawaii. What's, yeah. what's been your experience? You know, I have never played golf in Hawaii. Back in 1996, the only time I actually even stopped in Hawaii was to refuel because, well, it wasn't my plane, but it was a <laughs> commercial plane. But we were, I was headed over to the uh, World Amateur over in Manila in the Philippines. Uh, we stopped in Hawaii to refuel. But uh, no, I have not set foot on the ground in Hawaii nor played golf out there. But I know a lot of the tour guys, yeah, you're kind of like what you were just saying, though, they they don't love it because it's just so windy out there and they have to do this reset. And a lot of guys, actually, not a lot, but some of the guys uh, have made it a point not to even go out there and play over time. I mean, Mickelson, I don't think Phil Mickelson has ever I've never seen him play golf in Hawaii, um, you know, and then and then you've got uh, Tiger played over there a couple times. Obviously, we remember the the duel he had with Ernie Els, but he stopped playing out there after a while and. But uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of money to be had, and the the Century Tournament of Champions, and and then they go to Y Lai over there. I think it's the old uh, the Seth Rayner designed Y Lai, if I'm not mistaken. Kind of kind of mostly kinda, Seth Rayner. Yeah, kind of old school. That's uh, it's it's old school golf at its finest, really. Yeah, I think it's a great family vacation for a lot of those guys, and um, right. I think, well, if you win the, if you win the previous year, you have to go to, you have to go to Maui. It's that's yeah. Like, if you finish last, you're going to make about 50 <laughs> grand at the worst. So could, could be worse. <laughs> and then, um, 
but yeah, no, it's stunning. It's beautiful. And it just cheers you up. It's watching it on television is a joy. Um, I personally, and, and uh, I love seeing the sort of the guys sort of, maybe some of them are new to the tour and it's, it's a chance for a couple of people to make it sort of early season headlines. Yeah, no question about that. No question. And yeah, look at, looking forward to getting this year kicked off really well. We've got a great podcast guest to kick this year off. Garrett Johnston. Uh, it might not be a household name to everybody, but he is a he's a great golf writer, insider, host of Beyond the Clubhouse podcast. Uh, he, he does a wonderful job getting all the listeners involved with the game. He's had some awesome guests from Gary Woodland to Jim Nance. So Garrett has got, uh, he's got some great insight. Garrett and I did some work during the Fox broadcasting of the USJ events in the past. He, he was a researcher for us and production assistant, did some work. So we've, uh, we've stayed in touch, but you're going to really enjoy that podcast. But, you know, getting into this year and kind of putting a bow on our part here, Colin, you know, you know, we talked about the tour a little bit and the, the fans and the, or maybe lack thereof, kind of looking at some of the events coming up on tour. The events in California, it's appearing that they're not going to really have any fans allowed, maybe a small VIP section. But the, the, the one that we always love in the, in the wintertime, uh, in late January, it's always right around the Super Bowl, the Phoenix Open. That's always like the, you know, the stadium around the 16th hole and everybody knows that one. They're going to allow, uh, looks like about 8,000 fans a day, which is, uh, you know, <laughs> they typically have, you know, 150 or 200,000 fans a day at that event. Uh, uh, what's, what's your take on kind of when we're going to see back in full scale? I mean, we're certainly hoping for the Masters uh, to have that energy that we all love and absorb really through the TV. I, first off, I love the Phoenix Open. I love the sort of Roman Coliseum aspect of it. Uh, golf, yeah, right. It's, it's great for the sort of for golf's branding and 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 being modern and being a modern sports event. I think you know, could every tour event be like that? No, it, it would it would it would be crazy. But for that week, for that event, that time of year, it it's the perfect place i had chance to attend it a few times and what could the the attitude is so positive and and the enthusiasm is so strong um it's just it's 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 something everyone should experience at least once in their life that saturday round especially um looking for i mean what i'm trying to think of uh things i'm looking forward to i'm hoping to be a spectator uh at least at a few events this year, I do want to try to make my way over. I'm having, I, I keep my fingers crossed for uh, the open championship at sandwich. Yes. That'd be, that'd be pretty special. What is there, what, what is on sort of looking ahead to this year? What, what is something that is, uh, you know, something you've circled the calendar for? Well, I think there's a lot of them. I mean, uh, you know, the, the, the PGA championship being in, in the in the Carolinas where I live, it'll be at Kiowa. That'll be pretty cool. Uh, I just want to feel. I, I think what I'm looking forward to more than anything is feeling the energy of professional golf and the and sports, the sports world in general. Like getting back to the quote unquote normalcy, right? Of 
of feeling the energy of the fans and reacting to the great shots. And it's just, there's been that, that element, uh, the connection to the fans really through the TV that's been missing for me. So I'm looking forward to that, but uh, you know, really, I I guess on our, on our silver club side, really, you know, just looking to to get things kicked off uh, at the end of March, we've got a great event. We're lining up at the Chichesse Creek club, a place that we know and love right near Hilton head, South Carolina. And, we're shifting a little bit more towards a match play, some match play events uh, on our schedule. So, you know, we'll blend in. We've done a little bit more on the stroke play side, but we're going to shift a little bit more onto the match play side this year and some team matches with some really fun clubs uh, around the country. We'll go back to Inverness, uh, hoping to go to Biltmore Forest as well. And so well, we've got some some fun places lined up. I don't know. Just uh, I want to hear a- about, wait, I want to hear, let's talk about your game. I, how's that looking? I want to, nothing made me happier these last few years than uh, tracking every one of your shots in a PGA tour event. I wish I could have attended those in person, but. Well, what? well, th- thanks for asking. Yeah. My, my personal game is uh, it's okay. It's been consistent. I, I don't have any PGA tour events lined up this year. Unfortunately, I, I didn't play quite well enough last year in the Carolinas PGA section to, garner those spots but uh you know yeah it has been fun to play to play three tour events in the last couple years at uh, wells fargo and Wyndham and the rbc heritage as well so uh don't have all that lined up uh do have maybe a a couple other uh you know maybe i might be broadcasting uh an event or two more this year other than rather than playing in it so uh you know stay tuned on that one but uh yeah you know i i love to compete it's 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 in my blood. It will always be. It will always be there. Whether I, my, my swing can hold up under pressure, or my back can hold up, or you know whatever the case is. But uh, I, I love it. I love to compete, and um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we'll just you know play well when I get the chance, and heading to Stream Song with a few Silver Club guys in a few weeks, and they always have a big invitational there, so that's going to be a ton of fun, and. Yeah, just looking forward to playing well whenever I get a chance to get out there and swing the club. There you go. There you go. Um, well, good. I'm hoping, you know, I'm uh, I'm looking to just sort of work on uh, trying to keep the ball in bounds these days, you know. Just try to, <laughs> <laughs> not trying to worry about flighting it or shaping it one way or the other. Just trying to shape the ball forward. Yeah, know? no no question about that. Well, well, somebody who shapes some of the landscape of the golfing media out there is our new podcast guest, our first one of 2020. This is our 48th episode, Colin, that we're knocking out right here. Garrett Johnston, great golf insider. You're going to love everything he has to say and all the great stories he has. And his connection to the game is really, really strong. So enjoy this podcast. Always great to be with you, Colin. And we'll do it again soon. Thank you, Steve. All right, we're jumping into 2021 on the Silver Club Podcast. We've got a wonderful guest, Garrett Johnston. He's covered golf for outlets all around the world for more than a decade. And he's the host of Beyond the Clubhouse podcast, a wonderful podcast we will get into shortly. Garrett, welcome to the Silver Club podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Steve. Great to, great to see you again. I think the last time we saw each other was playing Old Town uh, over there, that golf, great golf course there in your backyard. 
Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. We were doing some work for, I guess it was U.S. Open week and uh, we were doing it out of Charlotte. So we were able to uh, hop over and play an early round of golf before before coverage uh, started on the West Coast. And that worked out pretty well. But uh, yeah, so so tell us what's going on these days. I know really in the golf media world, there's 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 obviously been a lot of golf going on, but there hasn't been a lot of fans at the courses and media has been limited. Talk to, to us about your role a little bit and, you know, kind of really maybe overview of how you really got into this side uh, of covering golf. No, I, I appreciate that. Well, the thing is with, with covering golf, like there, there's no path that tells you this is how you got to do it. You know, listen, you go in a, in a media center, like I did my first big major championship media center, 2010. I've got the shirt on now. I love the Pebble Beach Open. Graham McDowell in the huge win. Tiger Woods in the mix on that Sunday. That was my first ever major. And I had a moment, aha moment that hit me. It's like, I have to find a way, Steve, to make this my profession. How do I do it? I'm looking at John Feinstein right there across the way in the media center. Doug Ferguson. There are so many great writers, Bob Herrig, who have these full-time jobs covering golf. For a lot of those guys, they have their full-time job already and they're covering. For me, I was a video editor at the time, a videographer, and how could I be creative? How could I continue covering golf? And the PJ Tour has very strict uh, policies when it comes to video. So I made myself a writer. At that moment, I realized I've got to be a writer if I want to cover golf. So I started <laughs> just getting into writing, writing for the hometown papers of a lot of the young players, Steve. And that has been a wonderful way to connect with guys. I'm talking about Bill Haas for the Greenville, South Carolina paper, Justin Thomas for Louisville, Kentucky. When you approach players like that, it's very disarming to them to introduce yourself. Say, hey, I'm Garrett Johnson. Oh, wh who are you writing for? Oh, your hometown. Oh, okay, so your parents are going to read it. It's, it's very disarming, and that's been a great in for me. It hasn't been a lot of money. I'll be dead honest with you, <laughs> with the audience here. You're not going to make bank, but golf is a small world. It's about trust. And to your point about what am I doing now, yes, I'm still doing the local angles, the first time Masters players writing for uh, Lanto Griffin doing stories for the Virginia State Golf Association. Of course, he grew up in Virginia. So we look at a lot of the underdog stories. I'm continuing to cover the underdogs. That's a huge passion of mine when it comes to covering caddies for the Caddy Network, writing for the Caddy Network there, Joe LaCava, everybody from him to Paul Tesori, some of these names we know so well. But there are some other guys, Dale Vallely, who caddies for Abraham Answer. He's a yeah. great person. He's a wonderful guy and his story deserves to be told as well. So I'm always looking to answer your question about the, uh, looking for the storylines and, and the guys, maybe the unsung heroes. I want to tell their story as well. So I'm doing that with the written pen. And I'm doing that with Beyond the Clubhouse right now, having players, caddies and golf media personalities on just to talk about their experience. And, you know, just there, there's so much these guys have to share, whether it's Gary Woodland. We all know we won the U.S. Open. But if you listen to the recent podcast with him, his biggest trash talking moment was going up to Kuchar and Kuchar congratulated him on the last screen. And he said, wow, this is great, Gary, congrats. And Gary said, yeah, one day I'll teach you how to win a major, Kuch. <laughs> nice. So those are the things I'm going for in this podcast. Nice. Yeah, no, we'll we'll dive into that a little bit more because you've you've had you've had some great guests on there and you've got a uh, a very famous name and voice voicing over your introduction to your podcast too and we'll get into that in just a moment too but uh yeah the the player caddy relationships uh you know me as a PGA professional former tour player 
I'm always enthralled about the that, that relationship. One of the coolest relationships I remember in the last couple of years was a caddy they call Crunchy Pete. And he caddies for Keith Mitchell. And they won the, the Honda Classic. That was Keith's first victory on the tour. I think that was in, in 19. And um, you ever had any run-ins with Crunchy Pete? I love you brought him up. You know, I, I've read a ton about him on Caddy Network. They have done ext- extensive coverage. There's a lot of other contributors uh, to Caddy Network, and they have done a ton of stories on Crunchy Pete. Myself, I haven't had a chance to run into him. And that's the other thing, though. I'm glad you brought him up because there are so many caddies. I and mean, we're talking about 200, 300, 400 guys out there. Some of them aren't full-time anymore. Some of them are, are, are doing a part-time. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, you know, Bones is, is kind of going in and out of being part-time. John Wood, who we all know, Hunter May- Mahan's former caddy. Kuchar, most recently, caddy to him. He's going to TV. There are so many guys I need to get to know more um, because the volume and, and, and the great stories are out there. Um, but yeah, Crunchy Pete, everything I've heard about him is unbelievable. <laughs> I love the stories. It's, it's the anecdotes about these guys that, that make it come, come alive. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know that I guess you'll, uh, uh, that's be a good topic to cover in one of your future pods. I guess we'll have to, you have to get out to reach out to Crunchy Pete, but yeah, I guess he's, he's the man. He kind of, uh, he's kind of a, a caddy nomad out there, kind of sleeps in the wilderness and uh, really interesting stuff on, on him. But uh, yeah, can't, can't wait. Can't, I can't wait for that podcast. I can't wait for that one. But <laughs> yeah, we talk about the underdogs of the game and you've covered golf for a long time. Talk to us about maybe a couple of your favorite underdog stories that you've covered and why they were so impactful for you. The rookies early on in their PGA tour career, those are the underdogs. I'm talking about Justin Thomas when he first had his, his PJ Tour card in 2014, and he showed up to Napa. That was his first event as a full-time, full-time pro. He was the leader through much of that first round on that Thursday. I was at there um, in Napa. I'm from Sacramento, so I was just an hour away, and I, I was covering that in person. I was the only media person that talked to Justin Thomas after his first round on the wow. PGA Tour as a full-timer. And just to show you, he, he was not getting the crazy coverage he gets now as a number three player in the world. That happened 150 times in the last 10 years I've been covering golf, uh, Steve. I'm going to tell you that right now. There are so many players at major championships mm-hmm. who just get ignored. Thomas Peters at 2017 at the Open Championship. He came into the media area. We thought somebody had requested him. And every media member ignored him. And they were like, oh, well, well, Tiger's over here. Let's talk to Tiger. Or Phil's over here. Let's talk to (laughs) Phil. And Thomas Peters, who was a hot player, had an amazing Ryder Cup with Rory McIlroy. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. He was a Ryder Cup player. Yeah, so I went up to him and said, yeah, you did get requested. And and I want to ask you about about how you played today. I mean, in his – that point in his career, that matters. What he's going through at that point in in time for him. And when you talk about a story, I guess – yeah, it would have to be. It would have to be the rookie stories. I think my first stories for on Justin Thomas are my first stories on Tony Finau. How about that? His yeah. grandma came out uh, to see him at Riviera, and his grandfather's from Southern California, and he was in a um, not a walker, but he was like in one of the sit down uh, scooters. He couldn't walk, but he grabbed Tony and he said, and Tony's a rookie at this point, five years ago, and he said, Tony, your best is better than the rest. And it was a bond of, of grandfather and, and grandson in, in that case. And Tony was not getting the pub uh, that he's getting today. And he didn't matter as much. And, and it, it felt 
fulfilling for me to be able to write about Tony in that moment in his life and uh, as a rookie, learning, trying to earn his stripes uh, in a very unforgiving sport, see. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, when when you say the name Tony Finau, it really jogs my mind of one of the nicest guys on tour, for sure. I mean, Rory McIlroy, another one of the nicest guys out there. But there's this dichotomy, right? There's kind of, and you've covered Patrick Reed on your podcast as well, and uh, had some conversations with him. He's kind of known as golf's bad boy. John Daly was golf's original bad boy or whatnot. But talk about it. There are so many stories out there and the the dichotomy. In a way, I think of the PGA Tour, and, and maybe this is a crude way to think about it, but kind of like the WWE and the entertainment factor of golf. And, you know, golf needs all these personalities really to to make it thrive. And that's why people are, they want to see what Patrick Reed's doing and they want to know what, how Jordan Spieth's going to come out of his hole and how the story of Tiger Woods was so great in his comeback and winning the masters and all that. Talk, talk about kind of your take on, on the, the dichotomy of, of, or the, the variance really of personalities on the PGA tour. I think that's, that's a great point. And, and you mentioned Patrick Reed. There's a side of Patrick Reed we don't see enough, and that's his passion for his Houston sports. I mean, this guy's just like any of us in terms of we love our local sports teams, right? Or our college. You're wearing a Florida uh, sweatshirt right now. <laughs> I mean, so when I met him as a rookie again, grow with the rookies is my mantra. Scott Howard Cooper, a mentor of mine, wrote for the NBA for many years, said you have to grow with the rookies. And in 2013 at the Fry Stock is what it was called at the time. There he was. Um, I interviewed him right there by the clubhouse, and he was in his socks, and he was just so laid back, just chilling. Uh, he was about to leave that day, but there he was, and, and I said, let's talk about your Texans. And he could have talked my ear off for as long as I would have left it. He was talking about the quarterback, uh, I think Matt Schwab at the time, and he was talking about receivers, and it was unbelievable to hear the passion, to see the passion. And listen, I get it. He's controversial. There's a lot of things he's done. He has also been a massive Ryder Cup shot in the arm to the American team. We're going no, through no, no a 25-year stretch. Yes, a 25-year <laughs> stretch where the European team is, I think, one of the best stories in all of golf because of the way they come together and dominate the best American players in the world. And, we're, and they are the best. The better team in terms of world ranking is almost always the American team. You have to give Patrick Reed credit for however he does it, whether it's controversial or not, he has given them a shot in the arm emotion. He beat Rory McIlroy, who was on fire. I think he was four and zero going into that singles match in 2016. Who else on earth would have been capable to take Rory McIlroy at that point and beat him? I don't know if tiger in 2000, could have done it. I mean, I, I'm exaggerating there, but still, it, it was it was it was maybe the most epic match that that I've ever seen in the in the Ryder Cup, or or at least in the top three for sure. Uh, maybe the War and the Shore back in '91 at Kiowa <laughs> could have been another another uh, epic one. But uh, yeah, yeah, Patrick Reed is sure that that fire of the tour. Um, your take on Jordan Spieth and and where he is in his golfing career and. He's got three majors. He's looking for just that fourth one to kind of finalize the career Grand Slam. I believe eleven PGA Tour wins for him. He's going through a lot of a lot of swing doldrums. And you know, where do you think he's at in his life and his career? And and will he have a, a resurgence? 
Well, the thing about Jordan Spieth is it's all recency bias with us, with with media, with fans. Like, what have you done for me lately? Golf is the ultimate sport, Steve. Every single week. Kevin Strelin said when he won his first tour event at Valspar uh, 2013, they were already taken down the stands that night, and it was almost like it didn't matter. They were moved on. The tour had moved on to the next floor to swing stop. In, within hours, you're already moved on. You're already old news. And that's what it's like for Jordan Spieth. Are you kidding me? Look at his career, three majors. And when he hasn't won in 2018 at the Masters, he almost shot the course record with all the marbles on the line. And if not for 18, we've all clipped a tree when it matters. We've all, you know, just, just gotten a bad break. If not for <laughs> clipping three, this guy could have the course record at Augusta and have beaten uh, Patrick Reed and gotten his second Masters in 2018 after the great collapse in 2016. Everybody, recency bias, wants to remember the negative stuff. They want to remember, oh, Speed blew it in 2016. Oh, there. He was seven under there going in the back nine. Well, guess what? This guy... Find me someone who is capable two years later going in there and almost winning and, and having the course record in his sights on the 71st through 71 holes. Uh, uh, unbelievable stuff. What I see from him, and I remember interviewing him for the Dallas Morning News where he's from, the Austin American Statesman. Everything he told me in 2013, 2014, 2015, early on, um, Steve, you would hear him talk and, and he would say things like, well, ultimately, ultimately, my game's in a good spot. Well, you know. Good question, but all in all, I'm feeling this way or that way. He has a big picture mentality by using those kinds of words, mm -hmm. ultimately. And, and that is going to be what he is going to lean on, I think, over these next few years to get out of this little lull. Because this is this is just a little blip, in my opinion, under radar. It might be a, a little longer than he would like it, this <laughs> little stretch, this little slump. Mm -hmm. But Jordan Spieth, I am not worried about it at all. I think, I think we are all overreacting a hundred times over through what he's going through. This is the hardest game that any of us play in sports. This is it. This is, there's an unforgiving game and Jordan Spieth, give him some more time. This guy's going to be just fine. We're having a great talk with Garrett and we'll get right back, but I wanted to quickly talk about the silver club golfing society. Our camaraderie infused competition society has a wonderful schedule on the horizon for 2021 we're going to be in all the major markets, and we're going to hit places all the way from Ballyneal to the Hamptons in New York. We've got so many great venues lined up that you're not going to want to miss. So keep in touch with us at Silver Club Golf on Instagram and Twitter. We're on Facebook and LinkedIn as well. And look at our website, silverclubgs.com, for the story of the Silver Club and how we came to be. Through two years of our competitive society, we've had so much fun building up the camaraderie and the relationships at all of these great courses that you're not going to want to miss around the country from the best architects golf has ever known. Become a member today and hit shots that matter. Also want to thank our sponsors, Turtleson Apparel, the Winston Collection, and Torch Eyewear. We really appreciate all of these companies' involvement in what we're doing in creating lasting bonds on the golf course amongst single-digit handicaps. We really have a great time, so you don't want to miss out on all of our events. Again, silverclubgs.com on the web, at Silver Club Golf on Instagram and Twitter. All right, let's get back to our talk with Garrett. In your career of covering golf, uh, you've covered 30 major championships, including seven masters tournaments. 
lately in the last in the last year or nine months really this this pandemic has really engulfed the world stage explain what it's like on the media side from you know to cover these events most recently i know you were out at, at tpc harding park for the pga championship just talk to us about what goes on and and so you can even just cover these events nowadays that's a great point. I, I think I, I would think of the Masters and how under the oak tree is where most people would go to get quotes with players. That is, that's where everyone congregates, under the oak tree behind the clubhouse. And this year at Augusta, um, after their rounds, it was, it was just to the left of the oak tree. It was a different part of the property, but they, they still had players talk to the media, but there was very few media actually right there on site. And understandably, like everyone's in the media center, you're going to get the quotes sent to you from, I guess, the pool reporters, as they would call it. It's more of a term you'd hear in politics at the White mm -hmm. House, pool reporting or the pool feed. Um, but yeah, it was much more limited, whereas Augusta, typically, you're going to run into people on a Tuesday or Wednesday and you're going to talk to players. And, and it was not so much this year. Um, the one-on-ones the were just not with the virus going on, we're just not happening at the volume there. And I think also the PGA championship, you mentioned Harding park, just the access to players. And then on the PGA tour, regular events as well, is just not what it's been in the past. And for better or worse, uh, you know, you're seeing what we're seeing on TV. We're getting that product, which is great, but we're not getting um, as much access for the big name writers that we're so used to reading Doug Ferguson, Bob Herrick, some of the great writers in, in, in golf, um, at least early on with the pandemic, uh, when we restarted with the tour, they were not getting that access. So hopefully with the vaccine coming out, I'm, I'm really hoping that these insiders are, are going to be able to get more access to the players. Uh, it's been a challenge, but you know, safety is the important thing here. And they've just limited the number of, of media that can be on site. Is that, that the way it is? Yeah, I, I don't know what the exact number was, was at the PGA Championship at Harding. I think, uh, boy, I, I'm guessing here, total guess. I think it was around 40 or 45 uh, in the media center where typically it's in the 800s maybe, 900s. Um, so does that paint, hopefully that paints a picture for the audience that, you know, a lot of these writers, uh, maybe your, your local hometown paper uh, writer, <laughs> you know, in Dallas or wherever you live, they're not getting that access uh, they're not getting to the event at all. Like they have to uh, go on a, an online portal and, and read quotes uh, from afar. So it's a different world we're in right now, but uh, we'll just see where it goes. Well, hopefully that will change soon. Uh, and, and we want to see where this one goes. Your, your podcast, uh, Beyond the Clubhouse podcast, it is, it is awesome. If anybody out there has not listened to this, you have to download this podcast, subscribe to it. Uh, beyond the clubhouse, you've had some amazing guests. I mean, you've had 35 episodes so far. I mean, you had, uh, you've had Austin Johnson just after he and Dustin won the masters recently. You've had Xander Shoffley. You've had Amanda Balionis from CBS. How do you get these great interviews and get them so quickly? Well, it, golf is a small world and it's, it's all about relationships. And I've, I've been covering golf since early 2010 and you know, you want to have, there's a lot of different currency in golf. It's not just the money you make in a story. If I looked at it 
strictly economically, <laughs> I don't know if I could keep it going, but it's the currency of the, of the relationships I've built with, as you mentioned, like some of these people, Sandra Shoffley. I was there at Aaron Hills in his first round when he and Cameron Champ destroyed that course with their driving ability. <laughs> they both shot like three, four under par the first day. And this was Aaron Hills. This was the hardest thing ever. Right. It was. And Xander remembers that. And Cameron Champ remembers me talking to them after their first time, you know, in that, in that round at least. And it's those kinds of things. You have to be there. I think it's so important. Being there is more than half the battle. So getting to these majors, getting to these tournaments. I've covered on average up until a couple of years ago, I was covered, covering 18 to 20 tour events a year. And that may be just one day stop in Chicago at the BMW. I'm talking about getting up at dawn and getting to the BMW, flying to Chicago from D.C., being there for six hours and then flying back that night to be home to my, my two young kids and my wife, LaMonica. I mean, you have to be committed. And, and it's those <laughs> kinds of things that have led and kept the relationships going with the media personalities that we talked about there, the players, the caddies. I mean, but ultimately, I think it's the shared passion. I want them to see my passion for the game, but I wanted them to be able to talk freely about their passion for why they're doing what they're doing. You know what I mean? And I think that's been the key to getting these interviews for beyond the clubhouse. It's been so fulfilling so far. Uh, give, giving Austin Johnson a chance to share again, why the emotion hit him so hard in the 72nd hole. This kid grew up an hour from Augusta. He said to him and Dustin, they would look when they came in as fans or patrons, I should say, for the first time, just to be there to touch the grass when they were 10 and 11 years old was right. out of the world. And there they were. And it totally makes sense now why Austin was crying uh, four different times. He wiped tears away on the 18th hole when his big brother, it had never happened in Masters history. I confirmed that with Augusta National last month. Um, we had never seen a brother caddy for his brother, a winning uh, player. At, at Augusta National and for these guys who it was just such a huge deal for them to even get through the gates as young kids uh, from this course it's an hour away the greatest course in America in the world almost uh, what, what a special thing so it's it, finding the emotion has, has been the key yeah truly a great story that was and I mean the Masters is just you know it's just its own unbelievable entity uh, any inkling of of whether we'll see a Masters in the spring this year for sure, or maybe uh, you know, I, I, I we all want to see the Masters, and we all want to have the patrons there and feel the energy of the great putts hold and the great shots made. And uh, you know, I know that was lacking back you know five six weeks ago now. But uh, what's what's your what's your guess if you were to prognosticate? Well, I would, I certainly hope that they would have it. I, and I know there's different talks of, you know, the, the darkest days are ahead of us is what we're hearing from, from some of the leadership coming in. Uh, I, I really hope that's not the case because America is about, uh, you know, hope and it's about having a great vision and, and, you know, the thing about the founding fathers is just like, you, you gotta have uh, <laughs> positivity. You gotta be looking ahead and uh, giving people hope. And, and I hope that, uh, security protocols with the vaccine coming in. I'm hoping that in these next three months, Augusta National, which is just really probably one of the greatest sporting events. I think it is the greatest sporting event in the world. It really yeah. is. Jerry Rice, I've seen Chris Carter. I've had conversations with Chris Carter walking, you know, the wide receiver for yeah. so many years that he's an analyst now. We would walk off the property after a Thursday watching Tiger. And, and we talked about how awesome that was. And 
these these athletes, these from other sports, Aaron Rodgers, all these other guys, Will Ferrell, all these other people, they pay attention to everything that's going on at the Masters. They love that event. They're like a kid again in so many ways. I hope it does happen again in April. And just the storylines, I think, are just going to be amazing as we see Dustin. I was I was a little negative on Dustin because he'd struggled 54 hole leads. He was 0 for 4 going in this fast. No doubt, year. no doubt. I was skeptical as well. I mean, yes, and and the floodgates may have opened. I mean, Dustin could win. He could literally win three out of the next four. I mean, he's that good, and he's that comfortable now as the alpha. Yeah, there's there's no question about that. Well, somebody else who's comfortable around Augusta National is Jim Nance and. Yeah, if uh, if anybody's listened to your podcast, you have Mr. Nance uh, voicing your intro, and I love his voice. Obviously, just the the iconic broadcasting voice of Jim Nance, and and he's just he's so recognizable. And you you've had a podcast with him as well. Talk to us about that relationship and how that came about. Well, you know, Jim Nance is someone he almost. If you until you meet him, he almost feels larger than life because whenever we turn the TV on, he's in a setting that's larger than life. It's the Super Bowl, right? It's the creme de la creme of all the sports we love, Steve. So until I met him, the very first time I met him, I was uh, wearing my volunteer uh, jacket from 2008 at Torrey Pines because I just loved volunteering there that whole week. And and I met him at a San Francisco game, and uh, you know I I I talked about Tori and how much I would have loved to see Rocco win. And he actually agreed with me. He said, if Rocco had won in some ways, it would have almost been better for the sport because the every man can win the, the national open. They can stare down tiger kind of the way that Hal Sutton did eight years earlier uh, at, at players at the, at TPC, just that that could have happened. It was such a storybook uh, moment anyway. So we connected immediately when we talked about that. Um, nice. U.S. Open. And that's the thing. It goes back to the shared passion. Every time I met him since then, I was doing some production assistant work for CBS at some of these NFL games. I would drive uh, from uh, two hours from Sacramento to San Francisco and work not 49ers games for CBS as a production assistant. I mean, and that time I would each time I talked to you know, maybe talk to Nance for three or four minutes at each of these games. Maybe it was pregame when nothing else was going on, not, not a care in the world. And he just really appreciated my passion. For, for the game, I would see him at other majors at 2012 at Kiowa. I just remember him saying, hey, let's let's stay in contact. And and I love what you're doing. Thanks for sending, you know, start sending me your stories. You want to grow with the rookies, send me your stories on these rookies. So what I would do is I would send him my stories on Patrick Reed and Justin Thomas. And he's wow. calling shots on everything. And I don't know how much he would have used uh, some of my, I guess, insider information on these lesser known guys at the time. But that helped him get an understanding of what I was all about in my coverage of golf. And I think just the shared passion we both have uh, for the game, I think that just kind of came through. And, and that it's in these last 10 years, we've gotten to know each other. Um, he's always said, and this is important, I think, for the audience. If I could ever help you, Garrett, you let me know how I can do that. And I think it's important for all of us to really understand what we love, what we're passionate about. And once you know that in your heart, then you can tell those people who are asking to help you, then you can articulate it in, in such a fashion. And the best example is him voicing over uh, beyond the clubhouse. I mean, that's, that's, that's what he's done. And it's, uh, it's let it uh, some credence to what, what we're working on. Well, that's cool. You're working on a lot of great things and 
yeah, you, you've got to you've got to check out that that podcast. Um, yeah, you've had JJ Djokovic who caddied for Colin Morikawa. I mean that that you you get inside you know the the players, the caddies, the media. You kind of you cover all the bases in there. So super impressed in all of that. Uh, uh, you've been gracious with your time. Before we let you go, I got to get your take on Charlie Woods. Uh, he was blowing up the internet about a week and a half ago, playing with with Papa Tiger, who's uh, incidentally whose birthday is today that we're recording this podcast on, uh, December thirtieth. Uh, but talk to us about your take on on Charlie Woods. I mean that that golf swing is pretty good, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's amazing to see how confident he is. I think that's the first thing I see is I see he almost ha- walks like Rory. You know how Rory has that strut. I mean, that's Charlie. This is from this was his hello world moment, and he he <laughs> looks pretty happy doing it. He looks he looks prepared. He looks prepared for this. And it is here's the thing about golf, and you know this, Steve. You played against Tiger, and you played against some of the best. You can't fake it in golf in any way. There's you just cannot fake any part of it. And Charlie had to hit the shots on national TV. That was any of us. You get a chance to be introduced to the world on a big stage. Uh, Not all of us, of course, are are Tiger Woods' offspring, but still, you show up there. You have to hit that five wood on a par five. How close do you hit it? Oh, you hit it to four feet. Oh my gosh, who is this kid? Like this guy had to deliver, and it's not like he, you know. Tiger couldn't hit a shot for him or Tiger, couldn't, yeah. you know, grab part of the club and say, do this or do that. No, I mean, Charlie, it's, it's a lonely game. It's, it's an individual sport as we all know. And I, I'm just so blown away by his confidence, how ready he was for the moment. And I talked to uh, Justin Thomas's dad that night on Sunday night, who's been coaching, helping out with, with Charlie. And, and he just said that he's, he's such a, po- a poised guy. And, you know, Charlie's 11 years old. You got to leave him alone a little bit because he's, he's so young. But sure. he's such a huge deal. And, and I, it's, it's great to see the twinkle in, in the eyes of Justin Thomas and his dad. And also Justin just giving the kid trash talk and pushing him out of the way and the note in the bunker. This that, you can't make this stuff up, Steve. This yeah, is, that, that was great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, uh, that was must see TV that, that weekend. No, no doubt at all. Um, all right. Well, where do you see your career in the media world, like in an ideal world and you had a crystal ball and you were looking 10 years down the road, where would you want to be in the next five, 10 years in your career? That's a great question because it's something I haven't been able to uh, ask myself enough. I, I've been looking at day-to-day way too much versus the five-year, 10-year plan. I'm glad you asked. Tim Rosefort 2.0 is the answer. Rosie's always been my favorite. He's such a great person. Um, I mean, he's retired now and he's got Alzheimer's. So my best to him and his family, uh, thinking and praying about him. He's a great guy. But he had such a connection. I'd seen him working the parking lots at Pinehurst 2014. I mean, this guy was the last guy to leave the U.S. Open. Both he and I were the two last people to leave Shinnecock in 2018 on that Thursday after day one. You know how long the days are at the U.S. Open, right? Ooh, all day and night. <laughs> we were the last two people. We were talking. We were waiting for Mickey Demorat, who was at that time an amateur, and um, his dad was caddying for him. And both Rosie and I interviewed Mickey and we waited. It was eight o'clock, eight thirty at night. And uh, 
it, it just shows you how dedicated Rosefort was. And you know what Tim Rosefort said is, is he said, Mickey, thank you for letting us tell your story. I, I really appreciate that. And this is a 63 year old man at the time who had interviewed Tiger. I don't know how many times he's done it, but still the humility that Rosie showed in that moment. And I learned from that. And so for me, Yes, the golfing landscape, golf media landscape has changed so much. Um, but if there's a role uh, to be an insider in the way that Rosa Ford was, I'm not going to break every amazing story in the next five or 10 years. It's more connecting with the people that matter and telling their story fairly. And, and that's really what I want to do. Um, like Tim Rosa Ford, I think that paints the best picture for you guys. Well, there's no doubt. And, and yeah, we were going to see a lot of you over the next five or 10 years, I predict. And you can follow Garrett on Twitter at Johnston Garrett and at Beyond Clubhouse and Instagram. It's at Garrett Johnston Golf and at Beyond the Clubhouse podcast. So uh, just type that in. You follow Garrett and uh, you'll be on your way to knowing everything you need to know about the insides and the outsides of the great game of golf. Garrett Johnson, thanks so much for spending time with us on the Silver Club podcast. And we'll look forward to having a great 2021 and getting all this pandemic stuff behind us. Steve, it's been a blast. And you know what? Like what you're doing with Golf Week and the instruction, your videos, your your passion, your love for the game comes out in every video. <laughs> and I love what you're doing. And it, it really is like you, you're committed and it's great to see you on so many different platforms. And I'm wishing you the best too, because you put in a lot of hard work um, for a game you love. Thank you. Thank you. No, it's uh, we all love this game. We all want to tell the stories and Hey, it's golf. It's a game. It's supposed to be fun. And, and uh, I certainly love being around it. I know you do. And uh, we'll just, uh, we'll just keep on keeping on my friend. Sounds good, buddy. Great energy and insight from our guest this week, Garrett Johnston. Appreciate your insight and your energy as we jump into 2021 on the Silver Club Podcast. Stay healthy, stay safe, and we look forward to being with you on another podcast real soon.